Okay, so today I want to talk about the Christ-centered life. I will not have enough time to finish the entire sermon today. Uh, I'm going to focus on the first part of the sermon today of what the Christ-centered life is and what it, it, what's going on with our, with our Christianity today. This has been a burden in my heart for a long time. I have, I've been trying to figure out, Lord, what is going on with the kind of Christianity that I, I am struggling with, that many of my brothers and sisters in the church are struggling with. Living with, you know, there's a kind of Christianity today that I could not really pinpoint and say there's something off. There's really something off. There's something not right. But I could not uh, really, really identify what it is. And, 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 and when I look at the Bible, I see a different kind of Christianity than the way many of us live today, the way many Christians in, the, in this city, in the world live today. And, and I thought, what is this? And it affects many things. Or the way we pray, the things we say, the songs we sing, even many of the songs we call worship songs is affected by this. And I know there's something off with that song. I know there's something off with this one person, Christian, saying these words. But I could not say, I could not figure out why. What is it? Why can't I really say that this is, what, this is right? The Bible is saying something different. And what I, what I found out and what I distilled this into, and I found out that there's a kind of Christianity today that's different because the Christian life is supposed to be a Christ-centered life. It's a Christ-centered life. But what we find today is a self-centered kind of Christianity. You know, you look at the surface, people are, are saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. But, but when you remove all the layer and layers of their life, you look at the core of who they are, what you find out, it's a self-centered Christianity. It's, it's, it's a kind of life that's centered on self, me, me life. Now... Is the self-centered kind of Christianity, is this the kind of life that Jesus asked his disciples to commit to? Is this the kind of life that Jesus asked them, hey, follow me? Now, if you look at all these this situations in Scripture, I'm just going to go through some, some examples. When Jesus asked Peter, Andrew, James, and John to come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. By the way, that's the cover of your program. Uh, you know, when, when Jesus asked them, come and follow me, what happened is Jesus took, basically took control of their lives. That, that this, this fisherman, they had to leave their business, they had to leave their, their family business, basically, and, and, and follow Christ. You know, imagine, did Peter have any ambitions to buy more boats or, or to, 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 increase, to grow his business? Probably. He probably had those ambitions. But... He chose, chose to leave that behind and follow Christ. Jesus also asked Matthew to follow him. And immediately Matthew left his uh, lucrative uh, business of tax collection. You know, he was a tax collector. He left that to follow Jesus. Paul. Paul is a good example. He was a well-educated Pharisee. He was a Jewish religious leader. He, not just religious, but political. So think of Paul. He is like or Congress, people of Congress today. He, he, he's, he's up there. He's one of the government leaders during his day, big government leaders during, during his day. Yet when Christ called him, he left that behind and followed Jesus. 
and to think that Paul probably dreamed of this job. This was his ambition probably since childhood. And he worked towards this position in life. But now when he came to know Jesus, he had to just let go of all those things in his life. His career, he had to let, he had to let go of that. Uh, Timothy is another example. When Timothy was called by Paul to join him in the missionary, missionary trip, Timothy had to left the leave the comforts of his home. He was a young man. We don't know, maybe probably in his teen years or, or older. But he had to leave the comforts of his home and his family and join Paul in this, in this perilous journey, a very dangerous journey of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles because they were being persecuted over and over again. And he did this for the rest of his life. Timothy. You notice that these people, they denied their own lives. Denied their own ambitions and whatever they wanted in life. And let go of those and chose to follow Jesus. They knew the risks involved. They, knew the, 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 they, they understood the cost, the price they need to pay. But still... They followed Jesus. When the early Christians, when, the, when you read the book of Acts, when you read about the lives of these believers uh, in, in the Bible, by the way, there are examples. They're, they're the kind of lives that we need to emulate, you know, examples to follow. When you read about their lives, what you find out is they gave their all. They gave their all. They were all in. Everything about them just was given to Jesus, not just part of their lives, not just part of their time. Everything was given to Christ. All. All about their lives. Even to the point of giving their own lives. Stephen died for the sake of following Christ. Stephen. Even James, the brother of John, died. Was, was martyred because of his choice, decision to follow Christ. And here's the truth about Christianity that a lot of Christians today haven't probably lost track, uh, haven't you know, lost sight of. That when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are supposed to give your all. You are supposed to give your all. This is what Jesus requires of you. This is what the gospel demands. That you are to give your all to him. You know, I'm not saying to all of you, I know this, is, this cuts through the heart for many of us. I'm not, but I'm not saying that you have to leave your job. I'm not saying that you have to leave your family to follow Christ. But here's the thing. If Christ requires you to change careers, if the Lord requires you to uproot your family and move to a different place for His purposes, if Christ demands to change the pattern of your life, how you use your time every day, every moment, when Christ changes your situation and wants to change your situation in life, you must be willing to do these things. Willing to do such thing. Because Jesus is your Lord. Not yourself. Not your family. Not your children. Not your parents. Not your school. Not your workplace. Not your church. Jesus is your Lord. He's your master. He is your master. The Lordship of Christ means that Jesus takes precedence. He takes priority. He supersedes 
anything else in your life. I hope you understand that. That is what Christianity is. But somehow, many people who say they're Christians don't think like this. Do you agree? They don't think like this. You know, many Christians today, they just want the benefits. They just want what they quote, quote, quote unquote, say, blessings. They want to go to heaven. They don't want to go to hell. I know no one wants to go to hell, right? All of us want to go to heaven. Many Christians want to go to heaven. They accept Jesus because they don't want to go to hell. And they want to enjoy all the blessings the Bible promises. But they're unwilling to follow Christ. Unwilling to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They just want to escape hell. But Jesus is not their Lord. They're not willing to surrender to his leadership. And their life is like this. I would just use this uh, picture. It's like this. And is this the kind of life that you have? Is this the kind of life that you have? I don't know why I added that six street there. Maybe I forgot. I, I hope you're not, you're not coming out of some places there and, and walking like this. I hope none of you are like that. <laughs> to them, Christ is just one among many things that they add to their life. You know, just, Jesus seems to be just like an amulet. Like, you know, uh, what's it in Tagalog? Uh, amulet. Anting, anting. Like to ward off evil, evil stuff in my life. You know, to many Christians, they, this is what they think. Oh, I want my life to be better. I want improvements in my life. That's the kind of life those kinds of people live. Because they think that Jesus is there to just improve their life. That's a selfish kind of mindset. They think of Jesus as just to improve their kids. To have better kids so that their, their kids are going to grow up to be good people. They think of Jesus as, as someone who can make them less feel guilty about their own, their own sin. The reality is that kind of life is a, it's a self-centered life. And the real God here is not Jesus. Who is the God here? Yourself. You are the God of your life. Me. God of me. We worship the God of me. We worship the God of my own family. We worship the God of my own kids, parents, whatever, your job, your career, your business. The God of my business. We worship the God of pleasure, money. And Jesus, yeah, he's good. He's good to have. Maybe I should talk to him from time to time. Maybe show up in church from once in a while. If I don't like him, I'm going to put him aside. Is this the Christianity of the Bible? Is this? You already known about the life of the disciples and the apostles. It's not. We've been bought into this kind of Christianity. And the problem is churches and pastors teach this kind of Christianity. That's the problem. 
they sell these kinds of Christianity. And, and there are churches that sell that and songs that we sing that sell that kind of Christianity. No wonder when Jesus returns during Judgment Day, he, these are the words he says to those who approach him. And these people, they say they were Christian. They say, the Lord Jesus, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I, I go to church. I pray. I worship. You know what Jesus said to those people? I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. On Judgment Day, Jesus is going to reject these people. And they're going to go to hell. Because in reality, it is just themselves. Their God is themselves, not Christ. Look at the demands of Scripture. I'm, I, I, don't have, I didn't have time to put all the verses that I want. But when you begin to look at what Jesus demands, you know, in our culture today, when somebody says, accept Jesus, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to accept Jesus. Okay, I'm going to pray. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I'm gonna, you are my Lord. You're my Savior. Amen. But do you know what it demands? When you say you accept Jesus, do you know what it really, really demands? Listen to these words. This is all Jesus talking about this thing. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny, what they say? Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It takes self-denial first, meaning to deny your selfish desire, deny your own ambitions, your goals, your things you want for yourself. Empty yourself of whatever you want for your life. It's very difficult, right? But this is what he requires. Extreme? No. Normal. This is what normal Christianity is, by the way. And we lost track of this. We think Christianity is just an amulet or a necklace that you're going to wear. Listen to John 14, 26. Jesus said these words, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and bro children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such person cannot be my disciple. The word disciple, by the way, in Christian, they mean the same thing. It was only changed later on from disciple to Christian. But we were called disciples from the beginning. So he's saying here, you cannot be my disciple if you don't hate the people that you love, even your own life. Wow, this is hard saying. How can I accept this? Do I need to hate myself and my children just to follow Jesus? I, I hope you understand what this means. This is not hatred that you're going to be angry with them or you reject them. What Jesus is saying here is that, that your love for Jesus is so extremely high, your priority, him as a priority in your life is so extremely high that the love you have for your children, your mom, your dad, yourself, and family it looks like hate in comparison. The difference is so wide, it's so extreme that your loyalty for Christ goes way beyond that anything else in your life looks like hatred. It's, of course, you still love your son, daughter, family, children. You still love them, of course. You are commanded to love, right? But the difference between your love for anyone else versus Christ is this extreme. And these are Jesus' words. This is not my words. I'm not saying these things just because I want to make you feel bad or anything. But this is the truth. John 14, 33. Again, another word of Christ. He said, in the same way, those who do not give up everything you have, everything you have cannot be my disciples. 
cannot be a Christian. He said, you have to give up everything or else you cannot be a Christian. You cannot be my disciples. Another very, very heavy uh, expectation from Christ. Now you might be asking, oh, is this only Jesus going through this, saying these things? Look at what Apostle Paul says in, 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 in okay, let me skip that one. Okay, I want to point that out because this is very important. Now this view of surrendering your life to Christ, this is so radically different than many of us are used to when it comes to Christianity. That's why Jesus said himself, he said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Then he says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only few find it. This is the reason why only few find true Christianity. Only few find that narrow gate and that narrow road. Because the demands of Christ is so heavy. It's so, it's so extreme. But this is something normal for a Christian. It's just got lost in translation with our culture today. There are 2.4 billion people in the world today that claims to be Christians. But if this passage is true, not all of those 2.4 billion are going to enter heaven. Probably only a very, very small portion of those. Because if I believe this passage, if I believe what Jesus is saying, wide is the road that leads to, to death, to hell, and narrow is the road that leads to life. So meaning even out of the 2.4 billion Christians, only few find this gate, this road. Now my question for you guys today is, have you already, already entered that narrow gate? Other question. Have you already entered that, are you on that narrow road as a believer? Or are you still living among the, those who are traveling on, those, on that wide, wide road? And this is an important question because, you know, li life on earth is very temporary. You're here today and you could be, totally your life could change the next day. We need to answer this question because this will matter for all eternity. Paul says, even the apostle said these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Meaning, as Christians, it's not really about us controlling our life anymore. It is not about us leading our life anymore. We are a different kind of people. We are not like those people who, who, who live beside you in your workplace, the people that you know, even your own family. If you, if you have a family member who's not a believer, you're not like them anymore. Even the Bible uses the word peculiar. You are a different kind of people already. And what makes us different from, the other, from other people is this, that Christ lives in you. And it's no longer you that lives in you. But Christ lives in me. And the, the kind of life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It's not I anymore. Christ demands that 
your entire life, who you are. Let's talk about your, talking about your ambitions, your finances, what you own, your property, your job, your goals, your dreams, the joys that you have in life, the sufferings that you're going through, the pleasures, the pain that you experience, and different kinds of emotions that you have, your thinking, your personality, your family, everything about you. This is what Christ, Christ requires. He demands this from you. I want all of this from you. When you accept him as your Lord and Savior. All these things I want from you. Good or bad. I'm going to take it from you. I demand it from you. You know a lot of people quote the passage. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. And we have this idea. That when we say those verse, I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. But then we have this thinking that, okay, I'm going to do this and Jesus help me. You know, that's what we think. But that's not what the passage is saying. What it's saying that Jesus is in me and he's doing the work. I can do all things because Jesus is already in me and, and you're, you're out of the way. Don't mess around. <laughs> don't, don't hinder me. Because this is Christ doing the work. He is in you and he takes over your life. You're not just there to, he's not there to just help you out. By the way, we often think of Jesus as a helper. Yes, he is a helper, but he's more than that. He's more than that. Now, I want you to look at the culture today and just give you some examples on, on, on this, on this self-centered kind of Christianity. You know, one of the things I see among, I, I hope the guy on the car, this is a bumper sticker that I saw one time. And it says, God is my co-pilot. Now, the, the, let me ask you, is that what God wants? He wants to be the co-pilot of your life? Now that you know what we're talking about, it's not. This is not the position Christ wants in your life. He doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants you to remove your hands from the wheel, get off the driver's seat, go to the back seat, and let him sit on that driver's seat and hold, and let him take care of the wheel. You're not even qualified to sit on the, on the, on the, on the right side there. You just sit at the back seat and sit and do nothing. Well, basically, he wants to take over your life, invade every area of your life. Take control of every area of your life without you messing around, without you hindering him. Many Christians today, they go to church, another, another thing that you see, we call it, we, I call them Sunday, Sunday Christians. Many Christians, they go to church on Sunday. You know what they do in church? This is what normally people, Christians do. They, what they good, go, when they go to church, they, they expect that they're going to be emotionally, they're going to be emotionally encouraged, that they're going to feel good about themselves. Mm, that's a good sermon. I like it. Then, oh, wow, songs. Wow, this is a good song. I worship you, almighty God. Then they, they, they like the worship, the songs and the sermon. Wow, that was a good sermon. Oh, I so feel so good, so encouraged. Then, then afterwards, oh, of course, they wear, wear their Sunday best, wear their best dresses or shirts. And looking outwardly perfect on a Sunday, then after the sermon, they grab some good wisdom nuggets from the sermon, you know, things that they learned or, or from the songs, and they put those things in their mental closets to be forgotten and tell themselves, oh, that was a good service, oh, that was a good sermon. Then they feel better about themselves because they spent one hour in church, oh, God, I gave my one hour to you. I've done my part. <laughs> uh, one hour every week. Then after church, 
They seem to can't, they can't wait to get out of, their ch of the church, get on with their lives. So they rush out of church and they live like pagans the rest of the day, the rest of the week. You know, you got one hour with God and the rest of the week you just live like pagans. <laughs> As if God does not exist. And, and I, I, the reason why I can say this is I was like this. For me, church, there was times in my life that for me, church or God, Christ, was only that one hour on Sunday. My Bible is only open during that one hour on Sunday. But after the church, okay, we need to go home. Let's go out and have lunch somewhere. Let's go to this nice restaurant. Then afterwards, God is forgotten, Christ is forgotten, and the rest of the week, you're on your own without Christ ever interfering with your life. I think this pattern is the pinnacle of today's self-centered Christianity. It's evidence of how self-centered Christianity is today. Do you agree? Because we can really get wait, wait to get out of church and go on with our lives as if the church was just an interruption. Just an interruption. Here's the thing. You come to church, you come to Christ to die to yourself. To die to yourself. To die to your own ambitions. To die to your own selfish desires. To let Christ take over more and more and more of your life. In an increasing manner. Often, oftentimes, this, this, this work of Christ, this work of dying, is a long and painful process. Oftentimes, you will dislike it. That's why when people say good sermon, uh, yeah, okay. Because sometimes the real sermons is something you'll dislike. The sermons that you need to hear is something you're going to hate. The sermons that you're going to hear is probably something that you don't want to hear again. I think I like those sermons better. Instead of the sermon that, I feel good about that sermon. Probably didn't do anything to you. <laughs> but a sermon that hurts, that hits you to the heart, those are the best ones. That her sermon that makes you cry, those are the best ones. Sermon that you will say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to come to this church anymore. Maybe that's the kind of sermon you need to hear. And what happens is, oftentimes when God reveals something to you and you don't like it, you reject it. And this is where God brings about unpleasant circumstances in your life, suffering, trials, troubles, and God will allow your family to go through financial issues, health issues, troubles in your life, until you give in to Him, until you give in to His will, until you surrender your life to Him, until your will becomes the will of God, until the things that you desire becomes the desires that God desires. You know, many of the unpleasant things that I talk about, sickness, suffering, health issues, financial, these are the kind of things we pray a lot today, right? This, is, this, is most, this occupies most of our prayer. Heal me, Lord. Help me financially. Give me a good job. This occupies our prayers today. But did you know these are the real blessings? These are the real blessings. Because when God allows these kinds of circumstances in your life, He's refining you, purifying your life. 
refining you like gold through fire, making you perfect as a child of God. Because God's desire for you is for eternity. It's not temporary. It's eternity. Just like Rella, what Rella said earlier, that, that he disciplines us. He brings us to these kinds of situations because he loves us. He cares for us. And his, his perspective for, of us is eternal. It's not just for temporary things. And, and you know those things, health, money, wealth, possessions. Those are not necessary blessings. In, in fact, if you read the Bible, you don't really, especially New Testament, you don't, I could not find the apostles praying for those things in the New Testament. Have you heard, read a prayer about praying for a job, good health, asking for financial stuff in prayer in the Bible? I haven't seen anything like that, at least from the prayers of the apostles and Jesus. What it means is not, it's not, a high priority for a Christian. That's not the highest priority in our prayer. There are greater things to pray for than just asking for money, health, and material things. There are greater things to pray for. It also is evidence of our self-centered Christianity. The reason why God wants, does these things in us, crucify our old self, deny ourselves, because he wants to use us for a greater purpose. But the sad thing is our, our former life, our old self, our sinful self, is useless to God. Meaning, I'll, in my natural self, in my, my sinful self, the, the side of me that dishonors God, that displeases God, it's useless to God. He cannot use that. That's why the Bible says that you need to be born again. You need to be a totally new person because he's, he's, he's discarding your old life. And he wants to give you a new life. That's why the Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I, long, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know, in the Bible, you don't find feel-good sermons. It's rare to find, or in fact, I could not find any sermon that will just make you feel good emotionally. Uh, most of the sermons in scripture demands a response. It demands action. Even the word love in the Bible is not even an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's an action word. It demands certain things. You need to do certain things. That's really what we find in scripture. The prayers of the Christians were not centered on needs, pro um, physical, physical problem, material problem, money, health, career, earthly success. They were not centered on these things. Unfortunately today, sadly today in our culture, this is what most Christians spend their prayer on and time on. And you look at pastors today, they would say these words in their sermons. They would say, oh God will give you a promotion. Or people will respect you more. Or they will say, oh if you're going to serve God, you're going to, or give God to God, that offering that you're going to give, it's going to be multiplied by God a hundredfold. And they will say also, God is going to give you a windfall. There's going to money that's going to come. Just trust God. He's going to give you all this money down the road. Just trust him. And they would say also that your healing will come. Your healing will come. Just trust God. Your healing will come. Did you know that Paul had a, 
a, a, a disease that God told him, Paul, I will never heal your disease. I will not heal your disease. Sickness is not, is not a curse. It is also a blessing. And there are times that God, it is God himself who's going to put you in that situation so that you will be purified. So sometimes we pray, Lord, heal me, heal me, heal me. But the thing is, it's God who probably put that sickness in you and you're now praying against the will of God. And that's why one of the things I see today, there's, it's very common among Christians to say, just claim it from God and he will answer your prayer. Claim it, claim it, and God will give you the answer to your prayer. Now let me, can, you, can somebody here give me a verse that talks about that? Did you know that you cannot find anything like that in the Bible? That you claim for something and God will give it to you? Claim for, a, I'm talking about material things, by the way. Just claim for that new Lamborghini or a new car or whatever. A red Ferrari, I want that. And I have faith in that. Faith in God. I mean... First of all, what you're claiming, is it the desire of God or just your own selfish desire? I'm going to go directly to this passage here. This is what a blessed life looks like. Paul, do you agree he was blessed by God? Agree? Yes. He is, used, he is one of the greatest Christians, I would say. Used by God mightily. He's a servant of Christ. He is a blessed person. But look at this. Let me read it to you. As they servants of Christ, I, am I out of my mind to talk like this? He's trying to explain this to people. He's saying, I'm, I might be out of my mind explaining this. He said, I'm a, I am more. I'm a servant of Christ. I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Can you move the passage on my, Jimmy, for me? Three times I was, uh, five times I received from the Jews, Jews, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was, I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been da in danger in rivers, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have get, gone, gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28. And this is a blessed life. This is a picture of a blessed life. Now, what do you think of blessing today when you think of blessing? Having a good job? Lots of money in the bank, a retirement account. We come down a long way from what Christianity was supposed to be. Because now we equate money as a blessing. It's sad. Because money is not a blessing. It's not also a curse. It's nothing. And the problem with money is it can be a curse. Your job can be a curse. And I know some of you are cursing now in your, with your job as well. You know, the things that we normally call blessing in this world today might not be blessing in the economy of God. So, let me do this first. Sorry. In closing, I 
I wonder, maybe this is the reason why there are many churches in Austin, but we're not reaching effectively Austin, Texas. There's still many lost people in Austin. Maybe this is the reason why there's still unbelievers in our family. That's the reason why there's many unbelievers in the people that we know. Instead of becoming conquerors for Christ, we become cowards. Instead of overcoming the world, we live like the world. We waste time on playing the same ungodly video games that the world play, plays. We enjoy the same God-hating movies the world enjoys. We watch, we watch the same God-denying news media as the world watches. We follow the world's fashion, uh, fashions and fads. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. End up living in its shadows. And we end up tasting like the world. We become just like the world. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be peculiar people. No wonder Christians today, we are powerless. We're not making any impact for Christ within our families, within our workplaces, within our schools. This is the reason why many Christians haven't even shared the gospel with even a single person. Haven't even led a single person to Christ for, the re for their entire life. How many Christians here can say that you have shared the gospel with a person and that person accepted Jesus after you shared? How many can say that? It's sad. Really, really sad. Because this is one of the most basic evidence of your Christianity. It's one of our fruit of Christianity. How many of us can say that we have nurtured a young believer and brought this person to maturity? It's a basic responsibility of a Christian. And how many of us can still say that I'm still struggling with the same sin I struggled 20 years ago and I'm still dealing with the same kind of sin? I haven't let go of it. And here's the answer to that question. Probably you're living a self-centered kind of Christianity. And Christ is not the center of your life. He's not controlling your life. You are. You are. And so there's two actions. There's two things I want you to do tonight before we end this message. One, make a commitment to him and telling him, Jesus, I want you. I surrender my life to you. And take con I want you to be the center of my life. I take control of my life, Lord Jesus. That's the first thing I want you to do. Then secondly, commit that you're, that to keep him at the center of your life. Commit that to keep him at the center of your life. And this is the image that I want you to have in your life. Sixth Street is gone. It's not there anymore. I, and also the other thing there. There's a few things I removed. So, if this is your desire today to, keep, to have Christ at the center of your life, I'm going to challenge you. Next week, we're going to talk about how to keep Christ at the center of your life, how, practically how to do it. But for now, I'm just going to ask you to commit to this and, and say this to the Lord. Lord Jesus, take control of my life, Lord. Take control of my life. I want you to be at the center of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Truly the Lord of my life. 
my master, my king. I give everything to you, Lord Jesus. I give every area of my life to you, my hopes, my ambitions, my goals, my future, oh God. I give this to you, Lord. My family, all the blessing, all the resources, all the things that I have, I give this to you, Lord Jesus. Take the driver's seat of my life. Take control, Lord. Take control of my life. I belong to you and you are mine. If this is the desire of your heart, don't think about other people here. Just think of you, yourself, and God. At this, for this very moment, just think of yourself and God. I want you to stand up and talk to him. Stand up and declare it before him. Lord Jesus, I give my all to you. I surrender my life to you. I want you to say it aloud. Don't just keep it in your heart and your mind. Just say it aloud. Confess. Jesus, you are my Lord. I give my all to you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my hopes, my dreams, my goals, ambitions. I give this all to you. I want your goal for my life. I want your will for my life. I want your ambitions for my life. Your desires I want, Lord God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.